When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given on the eve of an Ashes Test Series, which is very, very exciting, or at least it would be if it doesn't look like it's going to absolutely hose it down with rain and there's barely going to be any cricket in the first test. Finney, our man on the ground, who we have sent out to Australia, people will say that Finney's out there for Test Match Special, but actually he's out there for Zero Ducks Given. Isn't that right, Finney? Uh, no, because I've still not received a penny from doing this podcast for the last year. So, um, no, no, absolutely not. I'm not here for you. I thought you did it for the love of hanging out with, with me and Dan once a week, virtually. Well, the only the only advantage of COVID is the fact that I've not I've only had to meet you a couple of times in the last 12 months. <laughs> if we had to sit in a room and do this every day then um, or every week, then, then it would be a little less enjoyable, I'd say. Right. OK, Dan, a, a riposte from you, please. I have nothing to say to this ungrateful bastard. I mean, we've made him what he is today. Without without him, he wouldn't have been taking my place in the Test Match bloody special team, would he? That's true, actually. Well, you've made me really miserable. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to channel my inner Unabomber and, and see what I can do about that. <laughs> I'm, uh... It's quite... That's, that's an early... That's, even by our standards, that's an early threat in the podcast, Dan's <laughs> Unabomber Stephen Finn. <laughs> now... Uh, now, a photo that I posted on the Zero Ducks Pod Twitter and Instagram account did very well this week because so because of time difference, Finney is there in the evening in Australia. Dan and I have had to drag ourselves out of bed at about seven thirty in the morning, and so um, Dan he's not a he's not a morning person at the best of times. So I posted a photo of his outfit from the last the last episode of Zero Ducks given, and it was very popular on Twitter. If you didn't see it, Dan was dressing. Uh, wore a cravat, uh, a fetching sort of green jumper, a sort of train driver hat. This morning, Dan, you look a lot like E.T. when he's on the front of the bike at the end of that film. <laughs> he's got, you got a red hoodie. got as much hair as E.T. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I, I, I feel considerably more bleak than E.T. on the bike. He, he, he was, he was at, like, he had the wind in his, I was going to say hair, but it wasn't hair, was wind it? In his wind scaly in his skin. Wrinkles. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I've, uh, I've resorted to going entirely fat face today uh, in, a, in an attempt to get sponsorship because I've discovered it, it's taken until two weeks ago that the famous fat face lounges have come back in stock. Right, and I've bought two pairs of them. I'm wearing them both simultaneously because I'm so cold, along with a fat face hoodie. And can I just say also, there's a, there's a fantastic new brand of jeans. Well, I say new. I'd never come across them until the other day when I found myself. In Dartmouth, in Devon, a friend of mine swore by these jeans, Scotch and Soda they are, and uh, which seemed to me a very appropriate brand name for a pair of jeans that I would wear. And they have got the perfect fit for a man who has no bum right. and legs like twigs. Oh, really? So, um, well, then yeah. I need a pair because my my I've got no bum. I go straight down. Oh, they'd be perfect yeah. for you. Totally perfect for you. 
oh yeah yeah let's tag them in or something what what do we do in order to get free jeans can you imagine how, how disappointed scotch and soda are going to be they're obviously <laughs> trying to be you know, a cool sexy brand they've got you and me advocating them <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly who they they were probably after somebody you know like a, a matthew mcconaughey or a brad pitt but they've got me and you extolling the virtues of jeans because they're great for you if you've got no ass. Yeah, well, look, they were. They, I bought them in a small shop in Devon. I think it's, they, it's they're already starting small, aren't they? I mean, from tiny acorns do great oaks grow. No, I always thought the, the brand Fat Face as well, they've, their name has let them down because no celebrity on the red carpet, you know, they say, who are you wearing? It, it doesn't quite sound as sexy as Yves Saint Laurent or Prada. Oh, this I'm James I'm hit- Corden though. James Corden would be good. <laughs> well, we've threatened to bomb Stephen Finn and upset James Corden. We're not even five minutes in. Good work as ever, Daniel. Uh, now let's get into the Thank cricket you. because we are on the eve of a Test match and an Ashes Test series. It's a bit of a shame because I've actually changed the weather app on my phone to constantly check the weather in Australia rather than in the UK, and it does look worryingly like it's going to be pretty much an absolute washout this first test match so Finney our man on the ground can you see there being much play at all in Australia over the next few days oh well the weather has been pretty dodgy whilst I've been here like I've been in Sydney the whole time I've been here because of the quarantine rules in Brisbane it's been very difficult to get in there but we are on the east coast um, as is Brisbane and the weather's been pretty bad, but even today, like it's been grey and cloudy all day, but it's been dry. And because it's warm, the ground doesn't it doesn't take long to dry. So, yeah, I'm still hopeful that there can be a little bit of cricket, but I haven't actually looked at the weather apps for Brisbane. But you, you've just got to hope that the storm or whatever it is blows through, I suppose. But some of the days that I've seen up there on social media from a few of the boys have been a little bit ominous. Yeah, I... I, I... I thought that we were going to get two hours play right at the beginning before the rain came at around about uh, noon Brisbane time on day one. And isn't there, I think there's a day with absolute sun, isn't there, like Saturday or something. So we could get a fiercely brilliant board draw, which would be superb, especially with an extra half hour added onto the end of every day, meaning that I have to stay in the studio till later and later and later and don't get to bed until later and later and later. Saying that, the, the forecast, I'm looking at it now on, on my most accurate weather app. And I think we get a full, like if, if this is anything to go by, I think we're getting a full test match. The only day oh, no. that there might be rain in the daytime is Thursday. And even that's from like six o'clock onwards. So, yeah, I, I'm quietly confident, actually, that we will get a full test match. There's no rain Wednesday, a little bit of rain Thursday just cloudy Friday and then sunny Saturday and Sunday. See, now mine, mine's not mm. happy with Wednesday either and basically saying Friday's the only full day. I mean, it does show the futility of these weather apps and it can all change very, very quickly. I guess, Finney, as a player, you just have to get your head in the game and just prepare as if you're definitely going to play full five days of test match. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the hardest thing about weather truncated games is that switching on and off or off and on is is the hardest skill to be able to have in those situations um, and making sure that you're mentally prepared because well to be quite frank no one's going to be physically prepared for the game because no one's practiced but <laughs> both teams are going to have to be 
mentally prepared to deal with whatever this first test throws up. I saw a picture of the wicket today and it looks pretty green. Whether that will change over the next 24 hours or so, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think the preparedness to play is something that can be tricky when you're when you're looking at bad weather, etc. But it's something that they'll be aware of and they'll be prepared for. And and if you're ever going to be able to concentrate, um, it's going to be the first game of an Ashes series. Yeah. I, so a couple of days out from an Ashes Test series, what, how would you be preparing right now? Are you sort of? I mean, I, I always wonder: Are you running in and steaming in and bowling in the nets, trying to get ready for sort of match match standard, or are you sort of tapering it off now and you know you don't want to injure yourself a couple of days before the series? How do, how will the guys be going about it? Oh, so, I mean, if you can practice properly and, and everything being well, then you'd have a hard practice day two days out from the test match. So, so say the test is starting on Wednesday, sorry, which it is. You'd have a hard practice day on Monday. Uh, you'd have a good bowl, have a good run around. You'd have a full net session. And then the day before the game, you'd taper it off and, and you just do what you want, basically. So if you want to go and have a bowl in the middle, you'll do that to get a feel for both ends. If you want to just do some visualisation stuff out in the middle, which I know Stuart Broad does quite a lot, then you just go and do that. But yeah, the day before the game, you're very much just getting yourself fresh and ready mentally to be able to perform the day after. This visualisation stuff, actually, I want to ask you about this because so this, basically you go out in the middle and sort of picture what you're going to do. Is that right? Because I know that David Beckham with his famous free kick against Greece, the sports psychologist in the England team told him to picture it. So he said he pictured that exact route that the ball took into the top corner. So is that basically what you're doing out there? Yeah, I mean, as sportsmen, we've practised the skill millions and millions of times. Um, and you know what it feels like and what it looks like when you do it well. So it's, it's trying to tune into that really and getting yourself familiar with the surroundings. So where when you're turning around at the back of your mark, you'll tend to sort of track your eyes in the same direction because it's such a repetitive sport. You're just trying to build a routine, basically. And when you're at a new ground, a fresh ground, it can take a little bit of time just to get acquainted with it. So that's why you do go and practice in the middle as a bowler. That's why you do go and do your visualisation stuff because so that when you do end up at the back of your mark for the first time in the test match, it feels somewhat familiar as opposed to feeling really alien, which can be quite disorientating and um, it can make you a bit anxious. So you want to try and alleviate those feelings as much as you possibly can. And visualisation is one of the things that helps you do that. The commentators do exactly the same thing. So uh, today, for example, I will be mostly looking at uh, balls faced by Steve Smith. Because with Steve Smith, you've got a lot more words you've got to say. So you've got to acclimatise yourself to that. If you're, like, if you're commentating a very still batter, there's not a lot to say. Bowler runs in, he leaves it, goes to the keeper, there's no run. But with Steve Smith, you've got to you've got to visualise his twitches. So he's uh, he bangs his left leg, his right leg, his box, his helmet, his left leg, his right leg, his box again, and then his helmet twice. He crouches, he flicks his bat up once, twice, thrice, four times, twitches, knee bends, moves to the right and tucks the ball into the onside, the ball way outside the off stump for a single that should never have been there. It's a lot of words you've got to get through. Yeah. <laughs> and if a, a commentator doesn't prepare, then they come unstuck. So you, it's, it's, and I imagine Finney will be doing exactly the same thing. He'll be, um, he'll be, he'll be, Steve Smith will be the tricky one. Uh, Marnus Labashane as well. He's, he's a tough one, as is Rory Burns. It's a nightmare commentating Rory Burns. We actually did a big bash game last night, the first, the opener at the SCG, the Melbourne stars against the Sydney Sixers, which was an absolute mauling, but it was like a net for us. <laughs> we, 
haven't commentated for a little <laughs> while. So went there, got all the rustiness out in the first couple of overs and then get into your flow. And by the end of it, you're on absolute form. So yeah, I've, I've had a, a lyrical net last night at the Big Bash game <laughs> in preparation for the test match that starts on Wednesday. I, I, now, be careful though, be, care, be careful that, that you're not thinking about the power play too much when it comes to the test match or indeed the fine. substitution. Yeah, don't don't start talking about, you know, we're halfway through the innings, will they make a substitution? Yeah, yeah, don't embarrass us, Finney. You're representing zero ducks given on the BBC. I mean, I'd love to see the reaction of your long-suffering partner, Dan, if you're sat at home today just staring blankly at a wall and she's going... No, no, I'm shadow I'm shadow commentating in exactly the same way that Steve Smith's shadow bats. <laughs> you can't get you can't you can't get to, to the top of your profession without putting in the hours. So when she's I mean, going this is what it looks Daniel, like. I told you to take the bins out four hours ago. What are you doing? You're going, <laughs> I'm just visualizing, dear. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm visualizing Jack Leach coming in of four or five paces. It's actually a hell of a game sun, if you're in case you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Well, um, to Jack, who tweeted us this week, saying, Hi, Zero Ducks pod, Toby, Finney, Norcross. I really need some advice. I'm a uni student in my dissertation year. I really want to pull an all-nighter for the first test and get some work done at the same time. But Finney seems to think the game will be a washout. In that case, I may as well get a good night's sleep and have a productive session in the library the next day. As I say, I'm in my dissertation year, so sacrificing a day of work for a rained-off cricket match wouldn't be ideal. So what do you think would be the best course of action? Cheers. Well, first of all, we've not helped because all of us have looked at different weather forecasts and seen different things. But um, my advice is... Did this bloke tweet that? Yeah. I mean, how many tweets did it fit into? <laughs> yeah, he, did, about... he, did, he did have to split it into a <laughs> He couple. could have written this dissertation. He could have written his dissertation at the time it took him to write the bloody tweet. <laughs> could, have, could have saved himself a world of job. If he put half as much effort into his dissertation as he did into his tweets, he wouldn't be in this fucking mess. Unbelievable, Jack. Well, my my advice is, what surely pull an all-nighter, put the cricket on. If it rains, you'll be less distracted. If it doesn't rain, you get to watch some cricket. Also, there's not many sports. Like, it'd be difficult to do some work while you're watching a game of football. It's quite frantic for 90 minutes. But a day of test cricket, you can sort of have it on in the background and just tune in, you know, watch for the ball. Then bowler goes back to his mark. That's 30 seconds. That's half a sentence. Watch the ball. 30 seconds. You can easily write a dissertation whilst watching the cricket. Well, also, am I, have I got this completely wrong? Has the university changed since I went to it? I thought the dissertation year was the DOS year when you did no. basically nothing and then had an essay crisis with two days to go sort of thing. No, this dissertation now is the third and final year. It all gets a bit intense, I think. Mm. Yeah. But then again, you did go oh. to university in 1874, so... It was That's right. Difficult, yeah. It was difficult writing 30,000 words with a quill. Well, the most important lesson was really knowing which way around the knives and forks and spoons went <laughs> in your silver service. That was the university I went to. Didn't have to bother with this nonsense, right? Writing a bloody dissertation, just whether or not to bow in front of an earl or a duke. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as ever, uh, Jack, I hope we've helped. I hope we've cleared that up. I, I, I like that our listener knows that he can come to us with anything. And mainly just get a load of abuse from Stephen Finn. Uh, now, also on the eve of the test match, I want to come back to something we discussed it's actually months ago. But recently, Finney sent a photo to the Zero Ducks Given group that was an absolute thing of beauty. So, Finney, can you please uh, retell the time that you did that, that training camp before an Ashes series? And in particular, uh, the boxing match that you had to take part in? Yeah, well, I... Um... 
I had to have a boxing match. I had to have a punch up with Monty Panasar <laughs> whilst I was in my uh, in the pre ashes training camp. And I'd previously watched Chris Tremlett break James Anderson's rib in the ring. And and yeah, sort of me and Monty came together and everyone's like egging each other on and screaming. It was very, um, very hegemonic out there in Germany, in the wilderness, <laughs> camping together in an eight-man tent, sleeping nose to nose with Nick Pierce, the doctor. Yeah, it was um like it, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> well, it, do you know what? It was a bit like fucking fight club and so me and Monty were like dancing around a little bit, sort of like having a little jab at each other. And then someone started shouting, fucking hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm there trying to like throw haymakers on Monty's ribs. Yeah. Uh, it was, um, it was an interesting experience. Who was, who was take, who was the, who was the bookie? Cause in those scenes, there's always a kind of bookie with a fag hanging out of his mouth and a hat on and a kind of like green uh, visor. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want 30 <laughs> on Finn. Like I can't imagine that the odds on Panasol would have been pretty decent. Yeah. I would think about 40, 50 to one. Yeah, I can't imagine many people <laughs> were a little flutter yeah, lumping money on Monty. The, so <laughs> Finney sent a photo to the Zero Dots Given group, which I'll um can I post this up on our Twitter and Instagram later this week, Finney? Yeah, well, I'd imagine so. Yeah, it's on it's a press photo, I think. It's it's absolutely there's there's a lot to take in in this photo. Um, but it is a wonderful picture of Finney. Clearly has just jabbed Monty very hard in the ribs. Matt Pryor's just watching on hands in pockets like it's the most normal thing in the world. Uh, Jimmy Anderson's there with a terrible, terrible haircut and a terrible set of jeans on as well. Probably some of Dan's, what are you called? Scotch and sodas or whatever they are. It is an absolutely yeah. wonderful, wonderful photo. I just still love the fact that somebody, they were shouting out random partnerships and they decided, right, uh, Finney, six foot seven. Uh, right, who shall he fight? Uh, Monty, you get in there. The p- poor Monty. Well, I'm glad I didn't get Chris Tremley. I'd have been fucked if I'd have got Chris Tremley. <laughs> well, anybody would have been. Anybody would have been fucked. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like Tekken or Street Fighter. You know where he punches you and you go disappear out the top of the screen. <laughs> it'd be like that. I mean, surely with him, surely with him, you have like he's, he's got you've got a tag team with him. So you've got to have two on one when it comes to Tremors. I mean, maybe you know, yeah. Ian Bell would still win him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, who put Jimmy Anderson in with Chris Tremler? On the eve of an Ashes Test series, do not put Jimmy Anderson in with Chris Tremler. Do not risk our greatest fast bowler of all time with Chris Tremler. Put in somebody that's not going to play a game. Whose idea was it, Billy? Name and shame. Who came up with his absolutely preposterous idea that you should all beat the living shit out of each other just before? Well, we were in the hands. We were in the hands of Australian. SAS. Oh, that explains it, of course. Um, All right, come on, come on. And they pulled us. They pulled us out of bed on one of the nights. So we landed in Germany. They took all our phones off us. They took contraband out of your out of your suitcase. It wasn't suitcase, a bloody rucksack. And at this stage, we still, like Graham Swan says, he said we still thought we were on our way to Oktoberfest or something because we'd landed in Munich and thought, oh, brilliant, we're going for a nice piss up for three days, team building. And yeah, we were basically. Take everything taken off us, taken to the middle of nowhere in Germany, dumped in the middle of a forest, and, and you had to run around and like, follow these guys, carry bricks. If you called anyone by their first name, the whole group had to do 50 press-ups. If you swore, the whole group had to do 50 press-ups. And you're running like single file through this forest in Germany with these bricks in your hand that were your new best mates. And if you dropped the bricks or you broke the bricks, then you were punished severely for it. Yeah, and you had to like walk with the bricks above your head for a little bit and out to the side. 
but then so in the middle of the night on the first night everyone's fucking knackered when we get to sleep we're eating nasi goreng like dried nasi goreng packet stuff that you pour a bit of boiling water in <laughs> me kp and all the boys sat around the fire eating nasi goreng going oh my god what has my life come to <laughs> and then after about an hour's sleep they wake everyone up so we can we're so sleep deprived by this stage we after an hour's sleep, they wake everyone up. Right, line up in front of the fire. There's people like scrambling around. People are in their pants, like, and you have to take your bricks with you. And then they write, right, take your bricks and go to the middle of the forest. And they were shouting at us, it's 10 a.m. in Brisbane. In a month and a half's time, you'll be bowling the first ball of the ashes. If you can't be ready now, you won't be ready then. And we had to stand there with these bloody bricks held out sideways at what it felt like three o'clock in the morning after one hour's sleep. And if you didn't do it, everyone had to do 50 press-ups. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. What Brainiac thought that this was a good idea to get Australians to put you through that crap? And also, did nobody push back and say, wait a minute, what do you mean? If I'm not ready now, I won't be ready in six weeks. The whole point about six weeks is to get ready, get ready slowly, and get ready in the right time zone. Who put up with this nonsense? I mean, (laughs) I know international athletes can be a little bit slow on the uptake sometimes, but it's a bit like sending it's a bit like sending the Secret Service in 1940 to a Gestapo training camp so that they could learn ciphers. What kind of madness is this? It's, it's absolutely beyond belief. I mean, who, who was Andy Flower? For this <laughs> Andy Andy Flower, Flower. Okay. it was Flower. I mean, it worked. Right, it, it, it did work. You've got to give, you've got to give. Do, do you reckon? I reckon we'd have won 5-0 if they had been so exhausted <laughs> that all their ribs yeah. broke. Well, I'll tell you the hardest <laughs> bit, the hardest bit of the, of the few days away was... You had to build out, they gave you some wood and you had to build a stretcher out of wood and you were in teams of six, I think. And believe me, I had Chris Tremlett in my group. And so there was this like hill, it was like a 45 degree hill. Every hundred yards, there was a cone. And each time you got to the cone, you had to swap who was laying on the stretcher, do do like these series of exercises and then pick the stretcher up with the next person on it, carry it the next hundred yards, drop it, do your exercise. And it was a race up and down the hill to see which team could build the stretcher, carry the people, do the exercises, then come back down. And if you've ever seen the size of Chris Tremlett to see like, I can't remember who else is in my group, but the time when I was trying to carry Chris Tremlett on this stretcher, it was, um, it nearly broke me in half. You had, you had a massive bit of advantage there. I'm imagining it's like the side with, again, I keep coming back to Ian Bell, but I would imagine Ian Bell's who you want there, isn't he? I mean, light as a feather. Bell, Pryor, and what? Somebody else quite little. Trot. So that, it would have been the nimble team yeah. that won, wouldn't it? Now, Trot would have spent too long over the over the actually making the, the stretcher, wouldn't they? Sanding it down, making sure it was all perfect. <laughs> I don't think the current England lot are doing anything like that in the build-up to, to their series. I don't know if you'd get away with all that nowadays. I think the players are too mollycoddled nowadays. I don't think you'd ever get them all doing that. They'd have their PR teams and their managers and their agents on the blower going, what the hell are you doing, wouldn't they, Finney? Well, these are the days when you weren't allowed to go and play in any overseas leagues or you weren't allowed to do anything other than play cricket for England. So and they were very strict on that, actually. So, so yeah, there was nothing else for us to be able to do. I'd imagine now that there would be some cricket somewhere in the world that you could wangle your way 
to get out of it. I mean, I'd sign up for club cricket in the third division of bloody Denmark or something <laughs> to get out of that weekend again. Sorry, guys, I'm playing the I'm playing the big Danish bash this week, but I'd love to join you in the forest. Yeah, I've got, just got a contract it's with with Mitchelland Cricket Club. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Yeah. It's worth three pounds, but I've got to do it. <laughs> you can't take that away from me, ECB, all right? It's in my contract. Well, here we are on the eve of an Ashes series, and um, there's nothing quite like it. I have to admit, I'm very, very excited about the whole thing. Now, Australia have named their team, and at the time of recording, England haven't. Um, I think ours is maybe slightly harder to pick. The The big surprise, well, the two big selections that we probably were most unsure about, they have gone for Travis Head over Kawaja and as expected Alex Carey is going to be behind the stumps and Mitchell Stark is going to play the first test despite taking three wickets at 93.33 so far in this calendar year no real surprise in there I mean when you look at the team on paper Warner Harris Labashane Smith Travis Head Cameron Green Carey Cummins Stark Lyon Hazelwood it's there's a few standout names, and this is where the test series is going to be won and lost, really. But you look at Labashane and Smith, of course, you'd expect them to get some runs at some point. David Warner, with a few Ashes demons in recent history, it's going to be vital whether England can bowl well to him at the start, and especially Stuart Broad of his record against him. Um, and then the ridiculously good bowling attack of Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, you know what you're going to get. And then it's a case of which Mitchell start turns up as well. Dan Norcross is an Englishman. When you look at that Australian 11 on paper, does it? send shivers down your spine or do you think, do you know what, maybe it's not as strong as some of the legendary Aussie sides of the past? Well, the first thing I think is thanks very much for letting us know who's playing yeah. in advance. So we've got a little bit longer to work out what to do. I mean, it's just an extraordinary dick move from them. Why do they do it every time? You know, I mean, it's, it's a bit like sort of playing poker and saying, uh, oh, by the way, I'll, I'll mostly be bluffing today. I mean, why give your opponent anything at all? Why not just wait? until when you actually have to give the team, I find it preposterous. Um, you're right that there's almost no surprises. Yet again, come in Stark, Hazelwood, Lyon. I mean, those four, they're always fit just in time for Ashes series. They always play every game. They play, they play every game against India as well. So get, keeping them fit has been uh, an incredible achievement by our Australians, except I suppose if you don't play any cricket, it might be easier to, to be fit because they've, <laughs> they've refused to play any matches during COVID. Um, <laughs> But you sort of know what you're getting with that. Travis Head does surprise me a little bit. I don't quite know why they're so allergic to picking Usman Kwaja because I really rate Kwaja. And uh, I don't think England will be frightened by Head. He's also a commentator's dream. And I don't think Marcus Harris will, will scare England too much. They'll see a little bit of fragility in that opening pairing. Uh, they know what they're getting with Warner as well. We're all petrified of Smith and Labashane, as we uh, should be. But Smith's not, he's actually, if anything, been slightly wonkier form. So you never know, there's a chinker like there. Uh, so much is going to depend on these pitches. And I've got to tell you, I'm going to give you a stat that came from Andy Zaltzman, TMS's uh, scorer, which he sent through to me the other day while he was in Kuji uh, gazing at historic stats about El Nino and La Nina. Because you know we're in a La Nina at the moment, which is why there's so much rain. It's when it gets warm and wet in Australia and it sort of happens every four or five years. And uh, in La Nina events, there have been nine Ashes series since 1903, and England have won five of them, and Australia four. There we go. In all other ones, in all other ones, Australia basically dominate. So 
I think there's a there's a chance there with it, what we'll be talking about is the moving ball. There's also talk that there'd be more lacquer on the Kookaburra. I heard a couple of bowlers, England bowlers, saying that there's a bit more on the balls and maybe it'll stay. I don't know whether it'll stay shinier for longer. I'm interested in what Finney thinks about that. Uh, so the other part of this is that England have got the option to rotate their seamers in a way that Australia made it very clear. Right, we're just going in with the same four. Forget Jai Richardson. He's just there as backup. He'll only play if, if anyone gets unfit and gets injured. Uh, so I think that I just don't understand. I don't understand why they would tell us this. I don't, I, what's the what is the theory behind it, or is it just the kind of is it that classic thing with Australians that doesn't matter if we win the toss, don't care who you play, we got the best side, we're going to win five 0 Here they are. It, it, what's going it, on? It is. It's very. Uh, I mean, rugby do it all the time. Rugby always announce their 15, you know, the day before. And I've always found it very odd because in football, you do it an hour before kickoff. And in cricket, you always do it at the toss. And yet it does seem that the Australians like to come out and announce their, their first test lineup. Finney, what, why do you think they've done it? And, and you know, what, what do you make of it? If you were a player, would you, rather, would you rather it wasn't public knowledge or do you not care at all? Oh, well, I don't really care. I don't think it's... I mean, there are only two real decisions to be made about the team anyway I think wasn't there especially with the Alex Carey decision being public knowledge a few days prior to to the team being announced but I think as a player if you're in that team it's nice to have the stability to know that you can relax over the next couple of days and prepare as and how you see fit um, which I think is an important aspect of being able to perform I think that when you're left on tenterhooks and on edge a lot of the time I think that that's to the detriment of your performance um, and I certainly found that when I was playing that if I was waited until just before the toss to find out if I was playing a game whether that's first class it happened to me a few times this year in first class cricket for Middlesex and you just end up getting more and more anxious waiting for the decision to be made and you don't feel valued because you're just like well you don't actually think I'm that important to win this game whereas for the Australians it's a show of strength to to get out there and say this is our team this is the team that we believe is going to win this test match and there you go. That's it. And I think that it's a, a show of strength and stability from the Australians. Because I also think that they'll know that England are probably a little less certain about their lineup than they are. I, I think that's exactly it. And, and I'd be fascinated to know whether England do know exactly what team they're going to put out in this first test match. Like many Sado cricket fans, I'm sure I've done something similar. I've got a notes on my phone where I keep writing down my first 11 for the first test match. And I've changed it about six times. I had it, I thought, and then I saw some of the scorecards from the warm-up game and I went, okay, well, he goes out, he comes in. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, right? Finney, first test match, your England selector or your silver wooden route, you seem to be picking the team now. What are you going for in this first Ashes test match? Who are you picking? Well, I've had a look at the wicket there. I think that if it's as green as, as it looks as though it is, then I'd be tempted not to play a spinner. I think, and with the forecast being unpredictable, I think if there is a bit of weather around, the spinner becomes a little bit not required, I think, as long as you can get through the overs for your over rate. So I would be tempted to go with, well, I think Hamid's going to play as well. I think he will start and I think Crawley will be waiting in the wings. I'd imagine it's going to be Burns, Hamid, Milan, Root, Bairstow, Stokes, Butler, Robinson, Wokes, Anderson, Broad, probably, I would say. I think they said in the press today that there's 
that they're that everyone's fully fit. I think there were a couple of question marks about whether Mark Wood would be fully fit and he may need a little bit more time to get up and run into 100%. So, yeah, I, that's the team that I think will play. And I think the big decision is going to be about whether they leave the spinner out and play an extra seamer or whether they just trust that Jack Leach can go and do a job and hold up an end for, for the seamers whilst they rotate, which is what Nathan Lyon's so good at for Australia. Five right-arm seamers, none of whom bowl more than 86 miles an hour. That's, I mean, I, I think that might well be it, I suppose. But um, I, I, I think the point of having Stokes surely means that you, you pick Leach because you don't know, especially if it does get hotter. And he can hold an end, can't he? Leach gives you a bit of respite. He can, but I, I just think that with the lack of preparation time and the lack of overs in people's legs, I think that you're going to have to spread the workload amongst amongst seamers. I think that it's unrealistic to expect the bowlers to be able to bowl 20, 22 overs in a day and then pull up the next day and do it again. So so I would, yeah, I, I would just try and spread that workload a little bit. Um, Australia are a little bit more fortunate in the sense that they'd have played maybe a domestic game or two at some stage in the last couple of months, whereas the England players haven't played since the last test match, almost two and a half months ago, I think now. So or not, not the last test match, the, the one before the last test match, because the last test match was cancelled. <laughs> I'm slightly interested, though, that, that Pope has shifted out and Bairstow's shifted That in. was my one but thing that I fought from that lineup because Bairstow, he, he struggled in the warm-up game again. I think he got a duck and 12 or something. And, and Pope scored that, that, that great innings against India at the Oval. Yeah, sorry, carry on, Dam. I was interrupting you there, but um, I, I, no, I, I no, did no, think that. I feel like Pope's weirdly been sidelined. It, well, it does seem a little odd to me because he's also played a bit, and I know it's played mostly grade cricket out in Australia, but you kind of tend to think that the way he does play would suit Australian conditions. I can see the, the sort of Bairstow coming after Lion aspect of things, but and Pope's not just a guy for the future. As you said, his, his last innings for England was an exceptional one at the Oval. He seems to me to be the, the man that you would have in there because he's a, at number five would be ideal. And they've been looking at Stokes at five instead and then whoever, whether it's Pope or Bairstow at six, that'll also be an interesting conundrum to see which way round they put them. And looking at that Green Tox, with Wokes at eight and Robinson at nine, you've got a pretty nice batting lineup, haven't you, that, that's quite deep. But yeah, I'd be surprised if Pope's not playing at some point in this series, and that's why I probably picked him first up. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I want to ask you about the opinion of Steve Harmison, who said in the build-up to this test match that he would put Stokes at free because he thinks he, he thinks he's you know got an aura, a presence. Uh, he's behind Root, definitely our our best batsman on his day. Any merit in that? You think it's all Finney? I was I was looking at that, and I thought that was a. An interesting call, but I also think it's a bit harsh on Ben Stokes, who's taken a huge break from cricket to go and batting at number three against the Aussies. And by the way, the way that Burns and Amid often go, there's a good chance to be batting in about four balls' time. Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think it's a very tight call between Bairstow and Pope. The only thing that would count in Bairstow's favour is the fact that he has played test matches here before. And I know, know that that's, that's not a prerequisite for selection, but that, that would be the reason why they may go with him. But I think you're right. You're going to have to play Ollie Pope at some stage in Australia because he could be coming on three or four more Ashes tours after this one. So you want to get him up and running. So yeah, maybe that was an oversight on my part. And Pope should or would play 
Uh, but I think that that's the decision that they're going to have to make out of that top seven um, is Pope or Bairstow. And well, then, the, the rumblings are that it will be Bairstow, aren't they? So I think you were spot on. Really. I, yeah. think they, I think they probably are going to pick Bairstow. I'm just yeah, it. but I do think that would be a shame for... I do think that would be a shame for Ollie Pope because you, you do look at the way he plays and, and see his first-class record and the way that he scored runs for England when he scored them. He looks like someone who's going to have a very, very long test career. So getting him up to speed and, and getting him the experience and giving him the opportunity to learn on the job, I think, is, um, is a really important thing for the good of English cricket in the future. But yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting call. And then your other question, because I digressed, I can't quite remember. What was it, Toby? Um, I was asking you about... <laughs> that's a very good question. What was I asking you about? You can't ask us this. Is this written, what is it? It's, it's, it's three in the morning or something, wherever yeah, we exactly, are. Yeah. I've, I've just come blinking into the you, spare room. I'm in my dressing gown, Finny. You're meant to be the one that's alert and, and, and all over this. Oh, Stokes at Stokes three. At Stokes at three, that's three. it. Thank God you're here. Oh, Stokes at three. Yeah, Stokes at three. That yeah. was Stephen Harmison's plan for the Ashes. I... I I kind of like it. I kind of like the idea of it. But in reality, it exposes one of your best batsmen to Hazelwood or Stark or Cummins very early on with a new nut who's not played cricket in a long time. Yeah, I I think it's asking a bit too much of Ben Stokes that in terms of what he brings to the team, the energy in the field, if you are expecting him to bowl a decent amount of overs to one, share the workload, but two, because if we do go with the attack that we said, he's probably the quickest bowler in that attack. So there might be the chance for him to play an enforcer role or something which can take it out of you. And then if you're dashing straight off after doing and putting the effort that he does in, um, in the field, I think that you're at a severe disadvantage to then strap your pads on and potentially be walking out there the second ball of a test match inning. So the principle of having someone who plays in the manner of Stokes at number three, the way that he pulls and cuts strongly and has a solid defence um, and back foot defence, I think is, I think that's not a bad idea. But I think when you take all accounts, or sorry, all um, all factors into account, I don't think it's the way forward. And also, David Milan looked very, very adept at batting at number three in the summer when he played his test matches at the back end of the year. He's got a test match hundred in Australia. Everyone knows that he favours playing you know, playing square at the wicket off the back foot, um, as well as having a good cover drive, but he scores very well pulling and cutting. So his style of batting could suit out here as well. So I think it makes more sense to have Stokes slightly down the order. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was I was looking at the like, you know, potential eleven that we could we could put out to win this test series. And I've been the whole build up to this series, I've been going, yeah, five nil Australia. Then I saw the weather forecast for the first test and I went, okay, four nil with a draw in the first test. And then just as you get nearer the series, you start going, well, you know, what we need, what we need, we need Root to score a lot of runs, Stokes to score a lot of runs. Then we just need Butler to put his hand up once, Milan to put his hand up once, eek some runs out of Hamid and Burns. You start going, well, if he can do this and he can do that. And, you know, if Bairstow has a day out. Um, and now here we are, this is the beauty of an Ashes series. We're all, you know, we've all probably all would pick a different 11. If we were given the chance, we'd probably all pick a different 11. And you start to get a little bit more optimistic about England's chances. Well, it starts in a couple of days' time at the time of recording. You might be listening to this uh, when it's literally about to get underway or it's even a day in. Either way, I am very excited to watch it. There is nothing better than an Ashes series. And there's something romantic about the away series as well and getting up in the middle of the night and sat there in the cold with a blanket on the do- on the sofa watching the game or, in Finney's case, sat in the glorious sunshine of Australia. Well, it will, it will get underway 
And uh, I don't think our opinions on the sides will make any difference to what the selectors do. Dan, you're pointing at me. You look, you look perturbed. Yeah. No, I, I'm interested to know how you're going to handle this because you're, you're, you have to do morning shows, don't you? Yes. So you've got to be, you've got to be on it. Mm. You know, that's your job. Yeah. So which way are you going to go about this? Are you going to try to get yourself into a kind of sleep pattern of coming back home about 1.30, 2 o'clock, sleep then and watch the game? Or are you just going to try to go to bed, forget the first session, then have mad fever dreams, have a little earpiece in so you're listening to Finney droning on mm. from uh, his studio. And Because uh, and, I find that when I used to do that, I always had nightmares that England were 15 all out and then I'd wake up and, you know, they weren't quite, they were 64 or something. And then you go through this series of terrible fever dreams. What, what's going to be your method? My method is obvious. It's to, it's to work through the night, <laughs> be exhausted, and then try to stay awake somehow with uh, strong coffee and fall asleep the moment I'm allowed. Yeah, I haven't quite mastered my, my Ashes schedule yet. I've obviously given it a lot of thought over the last few days. But uh, so my, my much better half, she gets up at 4 a.m. for work anyway. So I am thinking of going on a slightly similar pattern to her. So um, probably will actually do. I tend to sleep with headphones in anyway. I tend to listen to something when I fall asleep anyway. So I probably will chuck the cricket in my ears, go to bed early, maybe chuck the cricket in my ears and then get up at four and sort of turn. You know, when you wince as you turn on the TV screen to see how bad yeah. the scorecard is. I remember doing that in the yeah. 06, 07 Ashes. I got up early to turn it on. And I think Australia were 300 for two on the first day. And I was like, oh, no. So I probably will get up about four o'clock, I think, and watch the last few hours and then, and then head to do my, my brilliant award-winning radio show. Yeah, That would be great for Adelaide. Yeah, perfect. Um, which, yeah, because you'll actually be up before lunch yeah. for Adelaide or whatever they call it, dinner or something. Or the- and, and beautifully, I'm covering Chris Moyles on The Breakfast Show the first, uh, first week of January. So I'll be able to catch the last few hours, you know, in the studio. I can do a show whilst having the cricket on the screen in the background. And my producer's a big cricket fan as well. So that's worked out very nicely. So thank you, Moyles, for taking some holiday. Uh, very quickly, before we, um, before we say goodbye, because we've only talked really about England versus Australia, but there was another test match taking place. Um, now, in true Zero Ducks given fashion, last week we talked about India versus New Zealand and their brilliant test match. And I said the famous words, if this New Zealand side had a spinner, they'd be absolutely perfect. And I said, if you threw Daniel Vittori into this New Zealand side, they'd be pretty much the perfect test team. And, um, well, obviously what I was doing was reverse psychology and, and Jazz Patel took this, and because obviously everybody listens to the podcast, mm-hmm. um, he took this and he used it to fuel his performance against India. So... Quite impressive that after saying, if only this New Zealand side had a spinner, one of the few times in history, a spinner took 10 wickets <laughs> in innings. I mean, I've got to hold my hand up there. This is like when I slagged off Chris Morris and then he went for the most expensive player in the IPL. Uh, he took 10 wickets in the first innings. He took four in the second, 14 in the match. And uh, Rashin Ravindra took three as well, by the way. So 17 wickets New Zealand took in the test match, all of them to a spinner. And I just want to say to Jazz Patel that you are welcome because clearly I've fueled him and he's used that fire in his belly <laughs> to perform. And so uh, you can thank me later, Jazz Patel. Yeah, not my finest hour, but New Zealand got absolutely little, spanked by India, lost by 372 runs in the second test match. Little statet, he became the first player in the history of test cricket to take the first 10 wickets to the ball. 
because when Laker took his ninth for a start, England batted first, and then um, Laker, I think, took nine, then ten. He, he was on for Laker's record. And then they were bowled out for 62, and I thought, oh, no, he's not going to get another chance to bat. But India very graciously decided to pile on the agony, like batting with a lead of 260-odd. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Ravindra came and, um, and picked up a couple of wickets, which, which ruined the possibility of, of beating a Laker. But what a thing that was to wake up to. 10 for, a, 10 for 119. I think is it, it's him, Laker and Kumble, isn't it, that's basically done that remarkable feat. And uh, bearing bear in mind how inexperienced he is, that was quite the performance. There's something incredibly badass about losing by 372 runs, but you yourself taking... 10 wickets in the first oh, you can in the meeting afterwards the best feeling. in the meeting afterwards <laughs> look guys there's you know there's, there's one of us trying out here lads come on yeah <laughs> before we go i want to test finney so finney patel took 10 wickets for 119 runs in that first innings let's go through your best ever bowling figures and see how how arrogant you are and how well you know yourself so best ever test bowling figures stephen finn six for 79 six for 79 correct yeah do you want to talk us through that at all Oh no! Just single-handedly won the Ashes back in um, in Edgbaston, but you know. Okay, good. Well, thanks for not going on about it. Uh, one day internationals, best <laughs> ever figures. Five for thirty-three. Yeah, want to talk us through that at all? Uh, that was at the Gabra actually um, against India. It was a nice, quick, bouncy deck. Yeah, and actually, I didn't. I I got the wickets, and I actually bowled pretty nicely. But I, I think Jimmy Anderson and Chris Wokes opened the bowling. And went for about five runs off ten overs, and then I come on and and nick people off afterwards. So, I, I I stole their poles probably that day. He's very humble when he's talking about his bowling figures. We get him talking about his fifty. Yeah. He's the most arrogant person you've ever heard. Um, now, T uh, Twenty Internationals. Now, there's not many wickets to choose from here. Finney, best figures in T Twenty Internationals. All right, how many T Twenty International <laughs> wickets have you got? <laughs> Serious question. Uh, Twenty-seven less than you. Yeah, there we go. Uh, three you for are. 16, I reckon. Yeah, three for 16, correct. Who, who was that against? India in um, Sri Lanka. I'm guessing... No, not India, New Zealand, sorry. New Zealand in Sri Lanka. Look at that. You'd think he's only got 2017 international wickets. You'd think he'd remember them a bit better, but clearly not. First class, best ever bowling figures. Now, you've got to know this. Yeah, nine for 37. And which bastard took the 10th? Were Ian O'Brien, and do you know what? Andrew Strauss dropped the tenth at first slip, so I didn't get ten. Oh. We got to get Strauss on. So here it was early point. on in the it was early on in the innings, but the one person that I didn't get, Strauss dropped. Oh, oh that's brutal! Unbelievable. <laughs> um, we got to get Strauss on here oh. to explain himself at some point. Uh, well, well done, Finney. You clearly, I mean, if I was an international cricketer, I'd look at my stats constantly. And Norcross is pointing at me again. Yeah. Yeah, because you haven't asked him what was his most expensive set of five in a hundred match. Oh yeah, and uh, his most expensive over in an ODI. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, Finney. Uh, yeah, talk us, talk us. No, I'm a I'm a sportsman. I compartmentalise those right, things. So, yeah. um, after having talked to my therapist, they said ignore when you when you get asked that stuff. So. Oh yeah. So when we talked about visual... it's in a box somewhere in the back of my brain. <laughs> we talked about visualisation earlier, and now whenever Finney walks out to a square and tries to visualise bowling he just sees the ghost of John Simpson <laughs> he's not dead is he yeah no he is yeah oh yeah I, I, I meant to finish the podcast by saying rest in peace John Simpson's oh, some terrible news this week <laughs> chaps lovely to see you Finney you go and enjoy the Coogee sunshine uh, and Norcross you sit in the front room and visualise your commentating uh, and don't take the bins out alright 
Yeah, I've definitely been doing that. One last stat for you all before we go, because I am feeling statastic. Um, Ashes series, Australia have won 33, England have won 32, and there have been six draws. Couldn't be more beautifully set up, could it? Come on, England. Right, chaps, see you next week when England will be 1-0 up. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.